to the book of Romans chapter number 15, Romans chapter 15, and uh, I want to read verse 13 and then we will pray. Romans 15, 13, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your precious, holy, written word. You have revealed yourself to us through these pages and through these words. So as we turn our attention to them tonight, we believe that you will speak to us again a fresh word from heaven, an informative word, an inspirational word, a directional word, so that we might be able, Lord, to get just that much closer to the plan and the perfect will of God for our lives here. I believe, Lord, for those who have questions, that tonight will be a night when answers come. For those that might be discouraged, that they will take courage and be encouraged. For those, Lord, that are in need, that that need will be met, and they will understand how to fight the good fight of faith to make sure they're always met. For those who need healing, that they will be made whole. Those who need to be delivered, that they will be set free. In the mighty and the glorious and wonderful name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. For a number of weeks on Wednesday nights, we've been teaching about faith. Our series is called Faith Is. Tonight, I guess, is about week five or six, something like that. And I'm hoping that we can... Uh, finish up tonight if we can that's good of course if we don't there's always next week but I uh, I believe that we'll make some more progress and I said say that because I want to remind you that all these messages are recorded they're all online they're free of charge and if you miss the prior ones please go back and listen because everything fits better uh, that I'll say tonight if you've heard what came before we are a Word of Faith church. That is a term that sometimes people use to bring criticism to churches like ours. But we make no apologies for believing the Bible. None whatsoever. Uh, people might think they insult us by calling us a Word of Faith church, but we consider it a compliment. They might consider it an insult to say that we believe in the prosperity gospel, but we take that as a compliment. I understand and I know that there are a lot of variables in every life and that not everybody receives at the same level. We're not all in the same area of, of revelation. You know, there was a time in my life when some of the things I'm teaching you now, I didn't even know. And so obviously I was not living in the blessing of those things I didn't know because Faith begins where the will of God is known. And that's why it is so important that we're in a church where we're taught and fed the Word of God because if we aren't, then our faith is not going to grow and it's not going to be strong. And, of course, we're not going to be able to please God fully, Hebrews eleven six, and we won't even be walking correctly, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We walk by faith, not by sight. We won't live the life that God wants us to live, as he tells us, in his word that the just shall live by faith. So it's not a side issue. It's very, very important. So we've gotten to the place where we're, we're looking at the connection we make 
with our faith to receive and then what we do from that point on. Armed with the truth, the Word of God, which is the source of our faith, there is a point in time, if faith is going to work for us, that we must definitely and permanently choose to receive. Now, your petition may be for healing. It might be for finances to meet a need. It might be for uh, any number of things that would be something God could do and would bless but there has to be a point in time that we receive. It's not just talking about receiving. It's not planning on receiving. It is actually receiving. Now, this can be done through prayer. And there are various kinds of prayer that can, can make that happen. This can be done through a confession, a proclamation, a declaration of faith that we make and then hold fast to. It, could, it can be accompanied by or it can come through other acts of faith such as the laying on of hands or uh, other acts of obedience or other ways that God transmits his power because what we have come to know is that anything our faith appropriates, it'll take the power of God to bring into existence. So it's not all just up there in the cloud somewhere just thinking. It's not a mental thing at all. It's spiritual. But uh, for the thing to manifest in the natural realm, it's going to take some power from God. And in some cases, it'll take creative power. You know, God still is a creator. Isn't that good to know? The same God that designed your body can make new parts for it. I mean, my goodness, if Ford Motor can make parts to go in, a, in, in an old uh, F-150, you know that God could make some parts to go in a whatever model you are. Uh, you know he can do that. Amen. So once we make this connection, then we must practice Hebrews 10.23 and Hebrews 4.14, which is scriptures about holding fast our confession. It's necessary to hold fast or hold on to our confession. And that is a, a significant statement because it tells us that evidently our confession is the thing the devil is going to try to take away from us. And here's the thing about faith. When it comes to faith... Your confession is one of the things you have absolute control over. Nobody else does. Not even the devil. And God won't usurp your place and make you hold fast. You have to choose it. But if you choose to, you can. We said that we don't look at the circumstances for proof of anything. Once we have determined our faith through the word, we've made our faith connection, then I'm not at that point, looking at my circumstances for proof. Now, eventually, my circumstances will change. They will align with the Word. I will have what I say. I will have what I believe. I will have that which I prayed for. But in that interim, I am not looking at the natural circumstances for proof of anything. So if I'm believing God for healing, it doesn't matter if I feel worse after I pray than I did before. All I would say about that is that the devil is afraid. You're on to something, and he's pouring on the pressure. If you don't quit, he'll have to. But if you quit, he won. He's won. He, he has, he's won. And so we don't look at the circumstances for proof of anything. And I've been there so many times, and that's the reason I can say this with boldness. And I want to say this right now. I'm not trying to offend anybody. I'm not trying to 
to put anybody down. I'm not trying to discourage people. These messages are intended to encourage us and raise us up. But I know how the devil operates. He wants to take a strong message like this, a strong message of faith, and tell you, well, there's something surely wrong with you. Your faith isn't working as well as so-and-so's or somebody else's. You've got to understand that the devil is a liar. He's a liar. I mean, you know, most, not all, but most uh, people in the political realm, when they talk, you pay little attention to it, don't you? Why? Because when a politician's mouth's moving, what's happening? Usually there's a lie around somewhere. Some, there's a lie lying around somewhere. Not always, not with all people, but that's true with a lot of people in that realm. Well, God isn't anything like that. And the devil is completely like that. And so you just have to sort out where you're getting your information and who you're listening to. And when the devil tells you you can't, when he tells you you're unworthy, when he tells you you just somehow you don't get it, you, you, you just don't have it, you, you're never going to get it, he's lying. He's lying. Amen. So look only to Jesus instead of your circumstances. And, of course, when we look to Jesus, we, we do so primarily by looking to the Word because Jesus is the Word made flesh. And so if I'm going to look to Jesus today, I'm going to primarily do it by looking at His Word. What did He say? Now, if I don't know what He says, then I'm, I don't know where to look. But if I know what the Word says, then I know what He will do. And so that's very, very important to us. And we looked in Numbers 21 at the example of Israel looking at the serpent on the pole instead of the serpents on the ground. Looking at the serpent on the pole instead of the, the, the wounds in their body where they'd been bitten by serpents. That's how they got healed. They had to keep their eyes on the, on the serpent on the pole, which was a type of Christ as our sin bearer and our substitute. So look only to the healer. Look only to the deliverer. Look only to the provider. Amen. So if we believe we received, then the shall have. Now let's go to Mark chapter 11 because I want to give you, uh, I want to read the scripture. Most of you know this scripture. Maybe all of you do. But I, I think sometimes it can be a mistake to just assume everybody kind of gets the shorthand and, and knows the, 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 the partial verses that sometimes we quote to make a point. And tonight I don't want that to happen, so I want to look at Mark 11, and I want to look at verse 24. Most of us, many of us could quote it, but let's look at it again. In verse 24, Jesus says, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe. Now when do I believe? When I pray. What do I believe? Believe that ye receive. So I'm not going to receive when it or they or whatever it is comes into natural view. I'm going to believe when I pray. That's one of the great keys to faith that many times is easy to miss. But the point you have to understand is that if indeed you can see it, you don't need faith for it. If faith is our evidence, then that means that's the only proof we have until the thing does manifest naturally. 
And when it manifests naturally, I no longer need that evidence or that faith for that thing. You, you see what I'm saying? And so that's what's going on. And uh, Jesus said, again, I'll just reread the whole verse. And when you stand, pr- I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong verse, 24. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe. Believe what? That ye receive them and ye shall have them. So he's acknowledging that there is, at times, uh, and, and most, in most all situations, there is an interim. Sometimes it's very brief, but sometimes it's longer. In which, from the time we say amen to this kind of prayer, and we can say, there it is. See it? Look at it. And between those two times, the only evidence we have is our faith. And since faith is founded and built on the Word of God, that means the only evidence that I have that I am healed, if there are symptoms in my body, then this is my only evidence. If I have a financial need in my life and uh, I'm believing God to meet the need, then the only evidence I have for that need to be met until that money actually gets into my hands, this is my evidence. So that's why it is so important to know what the Word says. Now, one of the ways that this evidence becomes real to you is by meditating on the Scriptures. Meditation is a key to revelation, and that's the key to faith, is what you have revelation of from the Word. You know that you know that you know, I guess we could say it that way. Let me give you a little example of this that might help you, especially if any of you are fighting any kind of physical battles. But um, I was meditating just recently on the scripture that says in uh, Matthew chapter 8, 16, and 17, and, and I was particularly focusing on the 17th verse, but I want to quote both, both verses for you. It says, And when the even was come, they brought unto him, that's unto Jesus, many that were sick, and he healed, and he healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. And I got to thinking about that word, took. Took. You know, I, I don't know what the Greek word is. That's not really the point. I'm trying to get something out of my pocket here. If you can tell, I don't want anybody to get this, not even myself. But anyway... So, anyway, I want to give this example. I'm going to use Brother Matt here as a good example. I trust him. But, and just cooperate with me. Keep your hand out there, okay? But let's say this is a $20 bill that I'm going to give him a $20 bill. Now, you can just hold on to it a little bit there. Now, he can do whatever he wants with that $20 bill. Is that right? No, I didn't want you to. Not yet. Not yet. But... What about if I do that? I've taken it. It's not possible for you to have anything that somebody else has taken from you. And if he took my infirmities, then I don't have them. Here you go. You can have that, though. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It pays to sit on the front row. Hallelujah. (laughs) But you understand. Now you say, well, duh, I've known that for years. Well, good for you. 
I don't know how many times I've quoted that verse. Probably thousands of times in my life I've quoted that passage because I quote it every day. But I got a revelation on something being taken, and Jesus doesn't take it and then give it back. Amen. Praise the Lord. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about to, to take the scriptures, meditate the scriptures, pray based on them, and then make our point of contact. And then what do we do in that span of time between the amen and the here it is? And this is where the appropriate corresponding actions come in. This is where we walk by faith, not by sight. And that's why I wanted to read from Romans chapter 15 and, verses, and verse number 13. Because we know that holding fast to our confession is important. We've covered that. That's, that's, that's a given. That's a foundational thing. Uh, your faith is no stronger than your confession. But it's more than just a dry, rote confession. There are two things that are given to us in this passage that make it clear that there's something more. Even as we quote the word, even as we confess the word, even as we hold fast to our profession of faith, there are two key elements in this verse that we cannot do without. And look at the verse again. I'll read it again. Romans 15, 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Say joy and peace. Joy and peace, joy and peace is what you must have. Now... I want to talk first about joy, and then we're going to talk about peace. And the reason I do it in that order is because, of course, it is, um, it's, it's the way it's listed here, but it's also the way it's listed in Galatians 5.22 in the listing of the fruit of the Spirit. It lists first love, then joy, then peace. And then the other six come after. Love, joy, and peace. Because I have learned, and I want to share this with you tonight, there's really no peace where there's no joy. There's no peace where there's no joy. Love is the foundation, and then joy is built on that. Joy here means cheerfulness. So it's really... I mean, you're not going to convince anybody... You're not going to convince even the devil, and you're not even going to convince yourself that you're full of joy if you have no cheer. Well, I'm just believing God. You know, it's a hard old way. Lord, in your own good time, in your own good way. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would help us today. You know, I used to go to church where people prayed like that. They preached like that. Aren't you glad we're not in that church tonight? Amen. <laughs> Cheerfulness. It means calm delight. Now we're talking about ways to know if you're really believing. We're talking about the yardstick. We measure how much of faith we are really in and we're involved with. Cheerfulness, calm delight, gladness. It means joy. It means joyful. It means joyous. It means great joy. Exceedingly great joy. Exceeding joy. 
Nehemiah 8.10 in the Old Testament says the joy of the Lord is our strength. So joy is equated with spiritual strength. It manifests in strength. So I would suggest to you, especially if you're fighting a physical battle, and, and, and one of the problems is you're tired, you feel weak. Well, you need to up your joy. You need to up your joy. Amen? Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 24, Paul speaks of himself and, uh, uh, and his group of ministers with him that we are helpers of your joy. Evidently, we, uh, we sometimes need help with this joy business. And when we, when we feel like we're the least joyful, that's when we need the most help. And it just happens to coincide with this fact that when we need the most, joy, the most help with our joy is usually when joyful people aggravate us the most. I think about uh, Brother Jack sitting out there, and he's, you know, heads our men's ministry, and he testifies about his wonderful wife, Cheryl, which, of course, he wouldn't be half the man he is without Cheryl. Probably not even a quarter of the man he is without Cheryl. He's agreeing with me out there. But I remember his testimony. I've heard him say this a number of times, how that, that when Cheryl got full of the Holy Ghost and was praying in spirit and stuff, he just said, come on, Cheryl. Is this really necessary? You know, and that attitude is what happens to people all the time when they come into churches like this, especially on Sunday morning. You know, maybe their wife has drugged them out here. Or their parents have drugged them out here. And they, or maybe they just you know, felt like, well, I've got to go. I need to go. I have to go. And so they're here, and everybody starts praising. And all these joy helpers, people like Nick and all these, all these folks up here helping you with your joy. And, you know, if you're not careful, it can uh, almost go in reverse. <laughs> and you have to repent before it's over because they get on your nerves. They're too loud. It takes too long. I don't like that song. That person can't sing as well as I wish they could. You know, all kinds of things the devil put in your mind. I'm telling you, joy is not about your emotions necessarily. It is not about your feelings. It's not about any of those natural things. Joy is a spiritual force that when it is released and when it's stirred, it will change your life. It will strengthen your body. It'll strengthen your mind. It'll strengthen your spirit. It is a powerful thing and it's always on deposit inside a believer because it's a part of the recreated fruit of the human spirit indwelt by the Holy Ghost. And so the thing about all this is you have to rejoice to get it out and that's what all this is about it's not about performance it, it, it's not about you know just having some preliminaries so the preacher can get kind of tuned up I mean all that that's good but but that's not what it's about it's about praising and worshiping God and manifesting joy to the point that we lose ourselves and we're found in him we lose ourselves, and we find ourselves in his presence. I like that. I want to say that again. We lose ourselves, and then we find ourselves in his presence. That's what this is about. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 47. And I know that I, I preached some of this stuff just a few, couple, three months ago or whatever. But uh, it's good, again, 
Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 47. And I know that I didn't preach it in the context of this, this series about faith. And sometimes people think faith is this mechanical thing, this formulaic type of a, of a message, and that I'll get all that down. And I, you know, you, have you met these people? Brother, I'm just about the word. I like the word. Give me the word. You know, give me a strong word. I mean, I like strong meat of the word. Just give me the word. And you know, Many times those people, they don't don't care about praise and worship. Not all of them. I'm not saying everybody, but there are people like that, you know. Well, I'm not really all into that. I'm not very demonstrative. I'm not very loud. So, you know, I don't don't care if I show up on time or not, you know, for all of that. I can miss that. I just want the word. Well, I got a word for you tonight. (laughs) Deuteronomy 28, 47. Here's a good word for all of us. The Lord is saying through Moses that, of course, that there are blessings and there are going to be curses, and that curses will come upon them, you know, if they don't walk in the Word, in the, in the law of God, and it's, it's, a, it's a terrible list of terrible things that happen. And here's one of the reasons he gives for people living in the curse. And so I can tell you before we read the verse, you don't want to be here. But listen to it. Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. He says, because you don't do this, therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies. A lot of people are serving the enemy of sickness, the enemy of disease, the enemy of poverty, the enemy of fear, the enemy of oppression, the enemy of, uh, that brings all kinds of things to steal and kill and destroy. And, and, and maybe this is not the total answer, but it's definitely a part of what's going on. They are not serving God with joy and with gladness. So this is not just something we pick and choose over. This is really important. And you don't have to have a wonderful voice. You don't have to have musical talent. You don't have to, uh, um, you know, you don't have to have any qualifications except you just are willing to rejoice before God. And if you've never done a study about joy and rejoicing, and if you're wondering about the ways to rejoice, just open your Bible, particularly go to the book of Psalms and find out all those ways. And I can tell you what will happen if you've not ever done it before. You'll read that book and you'll start thinking about what you see in church. You'll, you'll start seeing people with their hands raised before God. You'll see people kneeling before God. You'll see some people on their face before God. You'll see people dancing. You will hear uh, music and even loud music. You'll hear, you will read about lifting our voices, and you'll read about praise. And so joy is an integral part of the faith life. So, you know, there there is no sad Holy Ghost. Well, you know, I got the Holy Ghost, and I believe the Bible, you know. And, you know, people sometimes, have you ever met Christians? They seem like they're just mad about something. I had a descriptive word last week that I won't use this week. You'll have to listen to that one, get that word. But anyway, joy. 
So, if you're not rejoicing, you're not believing. All right? Let's talk a little bit about peace before we go tonight. This word peace, by implication, includes prosperity. I think that's a very, very good thing. Um, prosperity is not this frantic grasping for stuff, money, and things. But God's prosperity comes through the peace of God. Don't ever buy anything of any consequence. I mean, you might buy a payday bar. If you don't like it, give it to Glenna. She loves them. <laughs> you might buy a cup of coffee. But I'm talking about anything of any importance. You need to pray until you have peace. You don't buy a house. You don't buy a car. You don't make any major financial material decision without the peace of God. Because the peace of God goes with God's prosperity. So anytime you're sitting at a desk or across a table and there's a check in your spirit, I should not sign these papers, you should politely, nicely get up and leave. Well, you know, it may cost me $1,000. That's better than costing you $200,000, isn't it? Amen. But the word means, of course, peace. And by implication, it has to do with prosperity. It means one, O-N-E, one. Uh, in other words, two or three or more can become one. They're at peace. There's no arguments. There's no division, no strife. This word means quietness. Quietness. It's very difficult to hear God when other things are too noisy. We need quiet time. I know we're in a culture today where we used to be. It don't seem like it's so much today, but it's kind of going the other direction too far. But uh, we've been in a culture many years in this country where it's almost like, you know, if you're not busy all the time, then you're probably not a good person. And that's the only way to prosper. That's the only way to get ahead. You've got you know, you to stay busy all the time. You've got to be doing something all the time. Well, God has a better way. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if you have no quietness in your life, no peace in your life, you're not doing it God's way. It's just that simple. The word means rest. So this peace is a supernatural manifestation from the Holy Spirit. We found that out, Galatians 5.22. We mentioned it earlier. I want you to go now to Philippians 4. This is a verse, if you don't know it before you get there, You'll say, oh, yeah, when we, when we do get there. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 7. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7. This is, these are wonderful scriptures to live by. I think I want to read with verse, uh, well, start with verse 7, but I think I want to go back and start with verse 6. Be careful, that means anxious. In other words, don't be worried. Don't be fretful. Don't be nervous. Be careful for nothing. No thing. That means there's nothing we're supposed to worry about. Nothing. Not recession. Not depression. Not interest rates. Not employment numbers. Not doctor's reports. Not financial statements. 
Not what somebody said to you in a text message or what they said to you on the phone or what they maybe came into your presence and said to you as they cursed you out. None of that is worth worrying over. I can tell you this, get braced. If you don't worry, somebody's going to be upset that you're not worried. But don't worry about it. I had a friend, he's with the Lord now. He's originally from South Africa. He spent a lot of his life here in America. And he used to say, we have a saying in South Africa. If you, um, now how did it go? If you, if you die, I'm sorry, if you worry, you die. If you don't worry, you will die. So why worry? In other words, some things are going to happen. Some things are out there. Worry isn't going to do anything about it. So be careful for nothing, but in everything. Now, he didn't say we don't do anything about our problems. But he says in everything but prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Sounds a whole lot like rejoicing, doesn't it? Thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And, verse 7, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God that passes all understanding. I'll give you this little paraphrase, and you do what you wish, but peace that doesn't make any sense to the world. It passes all understanding. People will not understand you if you're not a worry wart. People that get mad about things, they get angry about things, they get bitter about things, they don't necessarily like that you don't get mad with them, that you don't get bitter with them. Those people need help, but they sh- you're not ever going to help them by getting on that level with them. Keep your peace. And sometimes to keep peace... You have, to make sh- you have to plan where you're going to go before you get there. And sometimes you have to steer clear of certain people and certain situations. I'm not saying we don't love people, and I'm not saying we don't help people. But if every time you get around somebody, they are getting you stirred up and angry, and they're trying to drag you into their drama, you probably ought not be hanging around those people. Amen? We walk by faith, not by sight. Most of the world walks by sight, not by faith. So, you know, you're going to be a different character out here in this world, but that's what the world needs to see. This is peace that doesn't make sense to the world. It's not an intellectual thing. It's a spiritual thing. Amen. And this says it will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's the King James. The Amplified talks about the, uh, I'm, I, I think I'm quoting correctly from the Amplified. It says, it will keep, guard, garrison your heart and mind. In other words, peace will set this fence around you. It will actually guard you. Guard you. The Amplified uses uh, the, the phrase in this verse, no worry. The CEV, the contemporary English version, uses the phrase, no fear. So the peace of God will put you in a place where you're not in fear and you're not worrying. It will bring you to a place of quiet rest and prosperity in God that will absolutely not only minister to your heart, your spirit, but also even to your head, your mind. 
Hallelujah. So if we're not rejoicing, we're not believing. If we're not at peace, we're not believing. So if we are not rejoicing, we're not believing. If we are in worry and fear, we're not believing. So we've got to do something about getting these two fruit of the Spirit. We need them all, of course, but these two particularly in connection with our faith, we've got to get these in their proper place. Many times, many times, when we just start rejoicing, you don't have to then stop and figure out about the peace. The peace just comes. The peace just comes. In Matthew 21, 16, Jesus quoted from Psalm chapter 8 and verse 2. And he said, Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast ordained strength. Psalm 8, 2 actually says, He has ordained praise. Jesus equated strength with praise. That sounds a lot like Nehemiah 8, 10. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So we need the quiet in our spirit and in our soul. But there are times when we need the noise of praise. Not the noise of all the voices out here in the world with all their craziness. The world's gone crazy, you know. If you haven't figured that out yet, it's, it's, it's crazy. Not all that noise, but the sound of praise. So stay in the Word and rejoice until you're at peace. That's all I can tell you to do. You say, how long will it take? Well, I think probably sometimes it depends on where we're starting. How wound up we are. How, how worried we are. But stay in the Word and rejoice until you're at peace and can rest in the Lord that He will make His Word good. I want to close with a verse from Jeremiah chapter 28 and verse number 16. And this is my absolute last verse for this evening Jeremiah 28 and verse number 16 and we're going to sing here in a minute and do some rejoicing so get ready to get up and cut a rug anybody old enough to know what that means Jeremiah 28 I got, I got a new Bible I have to work on getting the pages going here verse number 16 that's not the right verse. No, the hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Jeremiah 23, 29. Or is it 29, 23? It's 23, 29, just like I said. <laughs> I want you to listen to this verse. Excuse the preacher's uh, mistake. I should have got it right, but I didn't. The word of the Lord through the prophet to us says, Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? given this illustration many times but it, it you know I can see it in my mind but many years ago many many years ago I was an underground coal miner and one of the first jobs I had was uh, was putting blocks solid limestone blocks inside you would build walls with them 
to help direct air because you have to pull the air in to have any air to breathe. And uh, so they brought us these blocks that were 8 by 8 by 16 solid limestone, though they were heavy. And they gave us primitive tools to do the job. So I had uh, one, of, one of the tools that I used a lot was a pole axe. Anybody know what a pole axe is? A little short hammer with handle, I mean, with a one-blade axe on the side and a flat hammer on the other. And so I would take that pole axe and I needed, let's say, a, a piece of block that was 8 inches instead of 16. And so you'd measure 8 inches over and I would take the sharp side and I would score it until there was a little, you know, score right down the middle. Then I would flip that over and I would take the hammer side and I would just start pounding kind of turn it on the sideways edge so that edge would go down in that that groove and almost never did it break the first time but if you kept on long enough eventually that one piece of block becomes two that's the picture I have when I read this verse God's word is like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. There are so many times in life as we go through the years that we're fighting the fight of faith and it looks so difficult and we don't know how in the world it's going to work and there is no evidence in the natural that this can ever get fixed or be changed or turned around. And you might be there tonight in one of those places. Somebody you dearly love may be in one of those places. You're using your faith. I can tell you that if you will get on the Word of God and just swing that hammer of the Word and begin to use it in a time of rejoicing and make your confessions a praise confession and begin to rejoice in the Lord, there will come a time when that mountain, that rock, it will break into pieces and the power of God will bring forth what He said in your life and it shall come to pass. It'll come to pass 